0: Mike, Mike, and Hunter.
1: Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also, Mike, is here in Oscar Race Checkpoint for your ears. We have two huge stories that are wrapping around the entertainment industry right now. Uh, One of them has to do directly with what we cover here in the Oscars. Michael, we can start with that one.
0: Yeah, it's nice of the Academy to time this up perfectly, right after we finished our Oscars year (laughs) in preview series, to give us some actual Academy news. That's considerate. dive into so this right. oscar race checkpoint is legitimate we got the industry stories with the writers guild etc yeah so the academy enacted some sweeping changes and kudos to scott feinberg and thompson clayton davis and many others who have been covering the hell out of this and writing some great uh work on the trades there but i think the best way to go through this is to kind of discuss the don'ts and the do's and we'll do the don'ts first and we'll kind of just present to you guys all the rule changes and then we'll give our takes okay the do nots do not share your voting decisions at any point good luck with that (laughs) hot start do not discuss your voting preferences and other members preferences in a public forum all right it could have been included in the first part but that's fine Uh this is this includes uh Ranking pictures, performances or achievements in relation to voting. Do not do that. Uh, Do not speak to the press anonymous anonymously. Michael, this is Uh, big. (laughs) Yeah, that's 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 a targeted one, I think. Uh, And you may not lobby other members to vote in a certain way directly or outside the scope of the promotional regulations and those regulations we will go over. All right. You
1: uh, you cannot, do not have more than four hosted screenings pre-nomination announcement, and you can't have any hosted screenings after nominations are announced. Uh, governors are no longer, uh, can no longer, I should say, host any non-academy event or Q&A to promote a film. So the uh, Board of Governors, the governors themselves have to be kind of like Sweden in wartime, neutral. Yes standing on the standing on neither side here do not mail any physical promotional material or screeners to members all of that must go digitally through the academy servers or a streaming service or the academy mailhouse. basically if you're going to mail things out to academy members be sure to pay the academy to do so
0: right uh those are the do nots here are the do's do praise motion pictures and achievements (laughs) now Um, we're out (laughs) <laughs> unless you're an academy governor and if so uh they have to be involved in the film in order to praise it obviously if the academy governor is involved with a film they can promote their own film uh yeah. but governors are no longer allowed to praise random films or films they're not involved in uh, that's uh yeah. that's weird right yeah it's 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 strange but right. but i guess it's a necessity cuz if you're like a casting director who's in charge of the academy and you casted it an oscar nominee you're going to be involved in the promotion of that movie it's or even more so a director right yeah i mean christ yeah. so you have to be that's your job so you can praise your own movie you just can't you can't, you post can't praise any other movie <laughs> and you can't <laughs> post any praise any other movie correct if you're if you're a
1: governor don't talk positively about film for the janet
0: <laughs> yang really gave michelle Yeoh a shout out that we know that put her over the top otherwise michelle yo would have never won <laughs> right. last year exactly naturally <laughs> no so uh th- that's the first do the second do is do have more than four kids Q&As. Last year, there was a limit of four Q&As, especially post-nominations. Now you can have as many as you want. There is no limit. Do market your films as quote-unquote shortlisted. Uh, You used to not be able to do that in your FYC slash marketing. Now you can. Also, do submit your film to the Academy Streaming Service and apply for a discounted rate if you are a small production house and if your film costs less than $10 million. So they're making it easier for those smaller indie films. Yes, be sure to to apply for that discounted
1: rate. God forbid the Academy lets you on their multi-billion dollar screaming service to billionaires for free uh do remember that the academy inclusion standards set in 2020 will be in full effect this year we've talked about those those seem to be good things on their face we'll see how they're enacted uh in real life do snitch on any, any suspected violations you can do so confidently via email at snitch at at oscars.org no it's uh <laughs> promotional regulations at oscars.org uh, good copy by you there sir do opt in to vote for the live action short noms don't know why
0: you need to s- spell that out maybe the live action shorts were getting no votes i guess i don't know now you can opt in similarly to animated short and animated feature so i guess you'd have to watch a sh- certain cross section of those films if you if you're going to opt in or if your vote's going to be counted for the mm-hmm. nominations There you go. And for international feature, national selection committees do make sure that at least half of your selection committee
1: is comprised of filmmakers. Uh, As Anne Thompson puts, this could decrease the political bias in some of these selections. But if Iran doesn't want to submit a banned filmmaker, this new rule is unlikely to make a difference. They're trying to take politics out of the international feature selection, but
0: obviously that's easier said than done. Okay, more complicated here. Home screenings are not considered, quote-unquote, hosted screenings. Because remember, you get four pre-nominated uh, hosted screenings. Yeah. But remember the old rule of, quote, don't lobby members to vote in any way, unquote. <laughs> so if you have a home screening, you cannot really uh, lobby anybody to vote for something. Uh, but even though the screening in itself is lo- – right, we'll get there. It gets better, Yeah. Do pay for it yourself, because now studios are not allowed to pay for it anymore. And in Clayton Davis's piece, he referenced a special screening uh, hosted at Jerry Bruckheimer's estate for Top Top Gun Maverick. That will no longer be allowed in this next group of rules. Yeah, I have my questions about that same
1: screening under these new rules anyway, but I I guess we'll get there. Uh, Penalties may or may not include... Quote, May include, but are not limited to, suspending or revoking mailing house and communications privileges, revoking privileges to attend Academy events, disqualifying a motion picture performance or achievement for awards consideration, rescinding an Oscar nomination, revoking
0: voting privileges, suspending Academy membership, and expelling a member from the Academy. Ann Thompson of IndieWire also wrote uh, about what we had basically speculated and it, what was reported to have been up for debate. As for the changing number of theaters and cities uh, requirement here for movies to be eligible for Best Picture, that conversation has been tabled, sources tell her, for the next set of rule changes for the 97th Oscars, which will take place in 2025. She says that makes sense as there are complicated issues regarding big studio-wide releases versus less financed indie distribution. All right, it's take time. hmm the first thing that jumped out at me Michael was what does this new set of rules mean for the Oscar beat writers Feinberg's and Thompson's and Clayton Davis's of the trades because for the reporters working this beat Academy members need to feed them information on how they rank these movies and how they rank these performances and these achievements and now it seems like by rule For them to do their job as journalists, they are basically asking, still anonymously, but they're basically basically asking these Academy members to break the rules. I wonder if those anonymous Oscar ballots every year are just like really chiding the Academy
1: leadership and rubbing them the wrong way, because this language seems pretty targeted towards those. No,
0: wouldn't you say? Right, and and throw out the window, punt it off the bridge, punt the burrito off the bridge. (laughs) We will never, ever get the votes ever because oh, the, the academy oh
1: oh, oh oh yeah that's gone <laughs> no 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 no, no. The man and I, it backs
0: to the man
1: it's just so dumb too like I, we all know in this day and age with social media as prevalent as it is what what the really endears yourself to the masses is to be less transparent (laughs) right right i'm so confused by them doing that what are you trying to hide what are you trying to safeguard and now
0: you're trying to censor basically your members from talking to the press i i do think putting things in place to help the unpredictability of the oscars is a good thing I think that's a good thing, but I think that should be... The anonymous Oscar ballots do nothing to they, spoil that. If anything, they screw us up as predictors. Right. But no, I mean, the anonymous Oscar ballots is not not the thing. The fact that these gatekeepers, the people working the Oscar beat, who are making these predictions are tipping nominations early enough in the year, is, is both an exercise in journalism and in the fact that they are tabulating the results from literally a 100 different awards <laughs> given out for that pr- pr- prospective category. So, yes, the journalism is a part of it, but I don't know why they're attacking the Oscars beat writers in that regard, if this is in fact doing that, Michael, because w- it, why take why cut their legs out from under them when in fact the precursors are doing more for making the Oscars too predictive than anything else?
1: And not to mention, if this is targeted at like, you know, don't don't talk to Clayton, don't talk to Scott Feinberg or like uh, the lawyer in me immediately reads the rules here and rationalizes that, you know, anonymous or explicitly, I can go on the record and just talk about which movies or performances or technical categories or whatever. I preferred apples to apples versus a different movie directly, as long as I don't say I would vote this way. Well, like there's all kinds of loopholes and and and. (laughs) <laughs> I, could, I could cause a lot of problems
0: if I was a member of the Academy and I saw these new rules and didn't like them. But if another member of the Academy thinks that you're talking to Scott or Clayton, they can go to SnitchRat at Oscars.org and email about you and now get Scott in trouble? Or wh- You what may can they not do?
1: share your voting decisions at any point. You may not discuss your voting preferences and other members' voting preferences in a public forum. But I can go to Scott Feinberg and say, hey, you know, I mean... Dune sucked. Let's be honest. Like, you know, I could like I can just talk apples to apples versus fair Dune's got nothing on Good. something like say, you know, I can't think of another movie right now because I'm just so enthralled in this subject. So, I'm a great Oscars host. But anyway, like Dune's got nothing apples to apples on say, you know, Air. Like I could do that cuz I'm not talking about how I'm voting or what my voting preferences are. I can just talk about this film specifically. Nice. And I could even theorize it and say that I'm promoting Air by doing so. I'm glad you're a lawyer for once. <laughs> Like it's, But this is it's so it's so silly to me, like the more finite you try to get in your rules, the more loopholes you're going to cause and the more confusion rather than clarity
0: I think you're going to cause. So what is this new set of rules doing? Is this just merely trying to curb the blatant disregard for the rules that we've seen in the past? Is this going to make the rule breakers kind of? You know, use some tact in how they break these rules, and therefore jump through enough hoops to where they're concentrating on jumping through those hoops to the point where they're just not barreling through the the walls of of these rules. I mean, I mean, the screenings hosted by Academy members for Academy members at their home—that is like the craziest, so new- stupid movement. The fact that that does not count in your four hosted screenings. If they really did not want those screenings to happen, the home, you know, dinner party screenings, then just count them towards the four because you only have four if you're a studio. That the studios would crack down on their talent immediately or at least make them so secretive that they wouldn't be be outed to the point where you cannot afford if you're campaigning a film, you cannot afford for that information to get out. And therefore you lose one of your four hosted screenings, because I'm guessing those they're going to be at a a premium now. But how are you going to enforce any of it? You need a snitch. And if you're invited to one of these,
1: you know, home dinners that happens to turn into a screening, you're not going to snitch on your friends. It's not like the Academy's got the Gestapo going door to door and making sure nobody in the Hollywood elite is watching movies. It's it's so silly to me. The Cat- the Academy does not have a
0: police force, Michael. That's they what have I mean. An email address. <laughs> That's what I mean. They That's have. What I'm w- talking about. So
1: you're making all these rules that are unenforceable.
0: I basically, I think that they have Fonzie. Who's his name, please? The actor, Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler, <laughs> who's the character from Barry. Yeah. I picture him and his lawyer friend knocking door to door. <laughs>
1: And then, and it, then it, like, it, it it provides a whole new set of, like, issues because, okay, let's say you do get a snitch, right? So you're just going to take the snitch's word that this illegal screening was happening? You're going to investigate it with two people behind a computer with screen. Who? To have... With who? Mike? Yeah, what d- is but... the due process? What is, what is the body in the academy? Is Janet Yang herself going to investigate the claim? Like, who's going to do it?
0: This is so silly. I'm sure they can have some people on retainer. They probably have enough money to do that and, you know, hire a... Hire a brother, Seamus. You're going you to hire a big <laughs> Hollywood law firm to investigate if
1: Courtney Cox showed a movie with her chicken parmesan.
0: They are <laughs> not investigating the chicken parmesan, but they will basically. I mean, the only the only issues with teeth in these are the only rules with teeth are actually the social media stuff. You ch- you can't yes, broadcast all your rule breaking to the world. That's right. what this is. Which I
1: is think. which is what the rule should be like that's that's it but having all this other stuff and then like the screening stuff and the private screening which by the way also the lawyer and me like okay what's a private screening even necessarily like if Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger are having dinner at Quentin Tarantino's house and it's just supposed to be dinner and then like collectively they, they decide that they're going to watch twins but instead of watching twins they put on the academy screaming channel is that a private screening all of a sudden or does the screening only become a screening when you formally invite people through the academy's mailing house or the the website there that you go use out to to contact other academy members and if so then isn't this all have to do with just the academy's mailing site doesn't this have nothing to do with what necessarily is or isn't a screening anyway and if that's the case you're giving that academy mailing house and that mailing website way too much power
0: the academy mailing website is is trying to take a stranglehold on all the communications and i guess that's them trying to be able to monitor it at least what what is tangibly something that they can do is monitor the communications. So they don't want people basically rat-fucking. They don't want you stuffing <laughs> ballot boxes. They don't want you doing that sort of thing. And that was like mailing a hundred bajillion things the screeners are out now it's all through the screening screening service they want all the communications to happen via their email server so they want it to all be official i get that but you're right the fact that danny devito and arnold have a screening and you know they want to have a screening with 50 academy members right if they're
1: together and they want to watch something on a whim
0: and they happen to be in a room with 25 academy members that's that's going to happen. The scariest thing is that it can no longer be funded by the studios. Like, how many of these, yeah, good luck. <laughs> like, cabal screenings were funded by the actual studios in the past? All of them?
1: And like, what the hell does that even mean, by the way? Like, if Spielberg's going to host a screening at his house.
0: He owns doesn't... the studio.
1: Right. Well, well I was, I was, like, <laughs> like like, like, if Scorsese wants to show Flower Moon, right? And you can't tell me that Scorsese isn't good friends with one of the executives at Paramount or Apple by now. And if they come by and like, hey, Marty, let me, let me foot the bill for this lunch, for this screening. Like, is that the studio paying for the food all of a sudden for this screening, which isn't a screening? Like, it's so...
0: You're causing all these problems that are just unnecessary because it doesn't matter what the answer is. And here's something, Michael. You're telling you're telling them they can no longer hold post nomination screenings period like publicly so aren't you encouraging more private screenings post nominations
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
0: you are <laughs> it's going to happen anyway and just
1: like like talking to the press is going to happen like I'm sure these guys are all going to be—they're all off the record anyway. There's no way that's—you know—Scott Clayton, and Thompson, anybody in those positions are going to give up their sources. Obviously, they're protected by law, so it doesn't. Man, the law has a lot more teeth than the Academy's law does, by the way. So, like, this is all—it's all just silly to me. I, it really I think, is. I
0: think a lot of it is posturing. They're trying to lay down and clarify what they hope to be the idealistic rules to an extent. But the problem is they negotiated these things and now they're they're they have these compromise set that they put out there. Ultimately I I hope that they're gonna get a lot of the big brash rule breaking stuff out of the public eye. So that's what this will accomplish. So I do think there's something here that is. But what's be the rule, Britt? Like, what, what do you mean by that? Just you cannot be on post? social media yeah. power okay, ranking fine. the the nominees. That's fine. And, and, I agree with that. And and, and and announcing that you are voting for yep. this person. You that's cannot fine. do the Andrea Riesboro social media campaign again. Like this is what it, that's exactly what it seems like to me. They 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 feel like they're so embarrassed by
1: Riseboro's nomination, which again I think is just a joke because that. That, what led to that nomination happens every year. It just doesn't happen for the type of scale that the Riseboro movie was. Yes, right? true. So they're so embarrassed that they didn't deify that this was an okay uh, performance to be treated in this way that they feel like they're so embarrassed by it that they, they're they overcorrecting now.
0: They're definitely overcorrecting. However, the Riseboro campaign broke a lot of rules they sh- they wish they had sure they wish I, they had I, I the can't... regulations down where they could have rescinded that nomination even though it would have been you know it wouldn't have been the it would have been some egg on their face but the fact that so many good people and so many people in the industry so many people in the academy had major problems with that that was that was rough for them i think Do you think
1: this is going to curtail any private screenings or any courtney
0: cox dinners well it's it's going to be it's going to be actionable now if that if you publicize these screenings via email to all the Academy members that you want to whip in terms of whipping their votes, it's going to there's going to be an easier paper trail to follow because that's that's I'll all buy going that. To but do you think it's going to actually be have any teeth? But I think do you think it's gonna stop anyone from doing these things. But I, I think the contradictory rules here is that the fact that you cannot have post-nomination s- screenings that are public, you could you're now encouraging more private screenings. Let's
1: ban abortion statewide. That'll get rid of abortions, right? They won't go underground.
0: Yeah, I mean, and still happen off the market. I, I, mean, I do think Academy members are still gonna get together and watch these movies and tr- and essentially do so to encourage other Academy members to vote for the movies because that's what they they're all friends. This is a chummy friendly thing and people take campaigning for these awards seriously because they matter still. Despite I, it, all it, our it, efforts. To me, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: to me it sounds like they want to just like we want to know all your communications
0: about any film. And that's just not going to happen in the film industry. No, but I, I think there's some good stuff and some bad stuff in there the problem is like you're contradictor- you're more optimistic on this than i am well i uh, i don't I think agree it's with gonna- the social media stuff like the social
1: media stuff and that's but to me that should have been the end all like yeah you can't d- don't go out there and be you know a publicist for your friend's film on social media that but, seems like dirty but pool
0: you can't just say that and, and then say but oh you can break all the r- rules behind the scenes they had I, yeah, to lay down this formality
1: and, and and it's yeah i i i get it i get it but I do it's too much and it's silly it,
0: it, when you look at how easy it is to break all the rules still it's silly. yeah
1: I mean you're you're literally creating loopholes that weren't there before
0: mm-hmm. and it's just how I look at it their fingers are in the dam and the dam is <laughs> bursting yeah and it keeps coming up with other holes yeah uh-huh. it's like a the old uh, cartoons that we mm-hmm. used to watch when we were kids all right you got to cook now because we got to talk about this writer's strike. It is, fir- is the first writer's strike in 15 years. Members began picketing at 1 p.m. yesterday. That was Tuesday in both Hollywood and New York City. They're still picketing today. And uh, my guess is tomorrow when you're listening to this. Uh, please run this down for us, Michael, and then we'll do, you know, I'll. I'll Weigh in with my takes. I will do my best. Uh, let's see here. The WGA has
1: gone on strike officially as of Tuesday afternoon. You said that already. A move which resulted in the walkout of around 11,000 or 11,500, depending on what source you want to believe, writers uh, nationwide to picket the lines and immediately cease production on all major late night shows, including this week's SNL, which was to be hosted by Pete Davidson. But uh, Seth Myers, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, all the late night talk shows, the ones that use daily writers in those roles, have all immediately ceased production. Uh, Uh, The word is any kind of scripted show that is affected by this may not see any impact from the writer's strike uh, for months or weeks, if not months out, because they are so already written and so ahead of their time there with what they have planned and shot and et cetera, et cetera.
0: Mike, is the Pete Davidson Taco Bell.
1: Hosted show <laughs> canceled. SNL hosted by Pete Davidson, presented by a chalupa. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's out for now. Uh, sadly, yeah. And the late night shows have all started running uh, reruns as of last night as well. When the WGA sent out their proxy vote to their members as to whether they had their pattern of demands prioritized correctly, according to the members, uh, and if not met by the AMPTP, which is the conglomeration of the Academy of both movies and television uniting as one in their uh, labor. Contract talks with the WGA. The cartel. Uh, (laughs) The people with the money, yeah, essentially. So when the WGA sent out their proxy vote with their pattern of demands uh, as to whether they should strike, over 98% of respondees for that WGA survey said yes, the pattern of demands are correctly prioritized. And yes, if the AMPTP does not meet these demands, we should strike. Uh, so this is a union which is standing in fierce solidarity with one another. everyone ninety eight percent of respondents they're saying, "Hey, these are our demands. We stand by these. And if you're not going to meet them, we have to strike. They didn't meet them by the deadline on Monday night, Tuesday or Monday night, actually, but Tuesday afternoon, the strike went into effect. I looked through the pattern of demands the WGA set forth. And even more than that, thanks to Adam Adam Conover, a former college humor uh, staff member there, a writer, and he uh, host of Adam Ruins, everything for the uh, what was it true TV. He set forth the actual rundown of WGA proposals and the rebuttals or offers the AMPT put forth on social media. He's a member of the WGA, and so he had the actual response from the WGA of the proposals they set forth and the responses, rebuttals, or rejections that the AMPTP had on a proposal-by-proposal basis. Um. This is a microcosm, I feel, just as a mean of editorializing this, of a billion issues going on in the country currently, and namely it's like the working class versus the ruling class and the importance, and my God, the overwhelming importance of unions for the common working man. But Mm. that's kind of a non sequitur. Let's go through what these demands are and what the WGA is looking for. They're wide and varied, but most of the biggest issues look as such. Uh, Residuals. The WGA wants from streaming being handled differently than the residuals from classic cable or network TV, as streaming safeguards their ratings, and thus usually only the production budget is known to those working on the show. Back in the day, a lot of the uh, a lot of the pay, I guess, would be based off cable and ratings, and and there would be a lot of other tools that the WGA would have at their disposal to fight the networks with. But because of the streaming empires we work with now, we talk about all the time how Netflix very closely to the best keeps their numbers and their ratings. The WGA doesn't have those tools to fight with and as such it makes it easier for the networks and the streaming studios to exploit their writers
0: yeah there's so many deals cut up front for streaming product rather than uh with residuals period never mind the fact that uh writers are now trying to get in on those residuals just like they're in on those residuals on the tv side because streaming is now functioning more like tv Yeah, and the residuals that the writers have been
1: uh, privy to have been decreasing exponentially by year, with in terms of you know how it relates to inflation and stuff. It's basically the exact same argument that the minimum wage has not gone up in this country in congruence with the rate of inflation, making the standard the uh, the cost of living very difficult for a regular worker working a minimum wage job it's the same thing going on in the writing community there's this idea that i've seen permeated social media that all these writers are you know very rich and insanely wealthy and they want to they're living in their mansions and they're just being greedy no a lot of these writers are like living paycheck to paycheck and they're very low on the rung and this is who it's aimed at helping there is an issue here with these low writers being exploited by these multi-billion dollar streaming networks uh, and as such, another one of the issues at the WGA's, at the heart of the WGA demands has to do with studios and streaming networks exploiting writers' rooms via use of so-called mini-rooms, which have become in vogue for studios to use as a means of stringing along writers without having to employ previously required minimum number of guild members thanks to shifting uncertainty of television windows. It used to be more bankable that okay the new tv season is coming up it's you know february we need something to run february to may for 22 episodes so that's when the writers can know they they submit their stuff and that's when it's going to be bankable for them well now streaming has exploded all of that cable network obviously is not at all bankable or at least not the norm that it once was and it's kind of moved the 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 schedule of television all over the map it's thrown the writers into disarray as far as what their schedule is going to be and when they can look for bankable income and when they can be secure in their jobs. And because there are so many different networks being in vogue and being used now, uh, networks are able to string their writers along because they can say, well, we're not necessarily ordered to series yet, but why don't you make another episode just in case we are? Or "Or we got a six-episode run instead of a full 20-episode run, so we can only keep these writers on staff instead of having to hire a full room. We keep this mini-room, which is language within the WGA's contract, et cetera, et cetera. Basically,
0: it's exploitation by the studios. It's been a gig economy to an extent to a to not in the same way that the journalism economy has become a gig economy where you're kind of living from article to article in many cases now for many journalists but in terms of writing for one show to another obviously some people are week to week some people are every three weeks this this uh trend in terms of what Conover has been talking about, and all the leadership of the WGA, uh, wherever they are, Matt Bellamy just posted a long episode on it uh, on the town. This writers' economy is going to get more towards gigs yeah. uh, than ever before if the quote unquote writers' room is not protected, and the fact that these mini rooms have become in vogue has really eaten into. Uh, It's eaten into the fact that a lot of these writers are just being cast aside or they're being like like you said, the goalposts are being moved for all their uh, for all their projects to the point where two months worth of work can easily become six to a year. And they've Mm -hmm. still just paid one fee and that fee is delayed, which is really screwing people up as well until the studio is finally happy with something. And they're also just making them work more and 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 sucking sucking them dry which is again it's just very unfair and not even when it's not even delayed it's still not enough
1: because another issue one of the main issues is like i said median pay is being far outpaced by the rate of standard year-to-year inflation in this country it's not it's that minimum wage argument i put forth before uh and one of the last most important and maybe the most important issues uh, having to do with the wga's demands is how the industry will be handling ai generated scripts and content going forward All in with the WGA demands, there was about 20 individual demands put forth by the WGA to the AMPTP. Of those 20, the AMPTP flat out rejected 14 of them. And of those 14 rejections, the AMPTP only offered any explanation or counteroffer whatsoever for two of those 14 rejections. The bottom line here is the WGA is asking for changes in total, which would amount to their estimations $429 million more for writers per year from the studio's coffers. Thus far, the AMTPT and any counteroffers or proposal they have made have amounted to only an extra $86 million f- per year for the writers. And 48% of that $86 million increase thus far is to come from standard increases in minimum payments anyway across the board. So the AMTPT, the writers are saying, look, we can get all this done for $429 million, which is, you know, about not a a little more than half of what fox just settled with dominion voting systems for by the way Mm -hmm. or about maybe a little less than double of what david zasloff's year-to-year salary just was revealed to be Mm -hmm. nonetheless uh they say we can do all these greed changes we can have all these things we need there's health insurance stuff in there too there's all kinds of different stuff for 429 million dollars the amp the the studios are in turn saying all right, you want 429 million. We have to give you some increases in minimums contractually. So how about an extra 40 million instead?
0: <laughs> right. It is uh it's far apart right now, essentially. The timing is bad. All right, the timing is bad for the for the entertainment economy in general because the entertainment economy is starting to recover after the pandemic and the streamers unfortunately went on spending sprees kind of right before the pandemic mm-hmm. content buys that were let's face it irresponsible and they over leveraged themselves to the point where a lot of these streaming services are not profitable and wall street took notice of that. And in, I mean, in a major correction stopped funding, These these companies the same way that they were for a while when subscriber numbers were going up and up and up and up and up. Yeah. Subscriber numbers started to uh, plateau and therefore Wall Street turned their eyes to the profitability and here they were over leveraged. This is bad timing for the studios because the studios, especially in terms of the box office, especially in terms of the movie theaters, which were in trouble. Anyway, we've talked about AMC on the verge of bankruptcy. Now, is it the doomsday bankruptcy? No, it's the reorganization bankruptcy, but it's still bankruptcy. It's not good. We saw the other major theater chain. What was it called, Michael? I'm forgetting, but they did go into uh, bankruptcy themselves. Riggle. So was Regal. Not whoever owned cinema, whatever cinema, not con. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) why do I forget the name of this uh, major movie theater conglomerate? But here we go. We have movie theaters on the brink, hopefully off the brink now. However, if you shut off the pipeline, there's definitely going to be a change in the movie theater and in the movie exhibition business. Because what have they done lately? They have really saturated the market. That's been the strategy. They've put good stuff out there, but this year has been a market saturation. It's been done so deliberately. We have gone over the studio-by-studio studio movie slates for the last several years. We have seen Lionsgate sit it out, Sony sit it out, mm. and now look, Lionsgate's got 20 projects. Sony's got 20 projects, and never mind their, their niche stuff. Everybody is flooding the market, even even to the extent where, like, our A list, my AMCA list, I want to see four or five movies a week. i got to pick three, and I, I, I'm i leaving movies out there that I would normally see in the past few years, movies that I had similar enthusiasm for. I'm leaving those on the table. I'm seeing them in a delayed fashion. Bo's Afraid it's one going to be one of those that I can review either in this episode or the next. Michael... This is bad timing because the aggressive strategy of movie studios to put product in theaters at this clip is going to be halted or lessened down the line if the pipeline is stalled.
1: Yeah, Uh, there's definitely truth to that. And the question is, how long can the pipeline be stalled? How long can this strike last? And. I think in terms of the court of public opinion, the WGA, for people in the know anyway, I mean, there is that sense of the, these are just greedy writers, which is ridiculous. But for people in the know, the WGA, it should be in a great spot because it's the little guy against the big bad corporations with all the money. But how long could the WGA hold out? Because as is the case with any labor stoppage stoppage with an H, stoppage. any labor stoppage, uh, the people with the money are able to hold out far longer than the unions and the, the workers and the people who live paycheck to paycheck and day to day. I mean, this isn't... I would think the WGA is in the right and is going to end up getting a lot of what they want, but if the studios want to play hardball, mm-hmm. there's going to come a point, uh, an impact point or a point of no return where the WGA just can't stay out that long. Now, the good mm-hmm. news is the WGA has... What any union needs on their side in these labor situations is that they have headliners supporting them. They have advocates that are big names uh, reaching out. Jimmy Fallon, Seth Meyers, Quinta Brunson have all gone on the record already saying how important writers are and how much they support the WGA and the strike and all that. I think John Oliver's gone on the record. I'd be shocked if Jimmy Kimmel hasn't already as well. They've all voiced their support already on the side of the WGA because each of them are writers as
0: well. So there is that to it, which is hopeful, I think. That is hopeful. But I think when I first looked at these negotiations, I kind of likened them to how, you know, the sports negotiations have been playing out in labor talks and strikes and, you know, lockouts for forever, right? Because we've been following those. And typically the argument is not how to slice up the pie because those, Whatever, those slices or those ratios, 60 40, 50 50, 51 49, whatever, those have been collectively bargained for dozens of times right. over a hundred, literally a hundred years of each one of these long, you know, long standing industries past histories. However, there's typically an argument over what constitutes the actual pie that will be diced up. Yes. And it seems like in well this said. instance, it seems like that the writers have been getting screwed on that overall pie for a very, very long time. The problem is the existence of these movie studios and their profitability has been contingent upon the fact that they exploit the writers and they exploit the crews. And they, they, they run risky projects. And a lot of these big money projects fail miserably. There's a certain percentage of them that fail miserably. So the cost of doing this crazy business, this crazy business of Hollywood movie making, et cetera, entertainment, has been to kind of cover your ass where you can. And and that's just, that's in my words, that's my theory here, because we have been neglected. In terms of knowing what the actual pie is because we're not shown that pie by the streamers in, uh, or the latest group not to show that pie. Right. Those movie studios have not shown the pie in terms of how much money they actually make in, uh, in VOD. They've never shown that. Never. Have we ever gotten a uh, we, I mean, we we barely, you know, there's
1: a lot of productions production budgets we barely get our hands on until, like, years after the fact.
0: We, we do not see the financials. They are not made public, and maybe they're held private. Maybe they're, you know, uh, worked into all the deals with the talent or some of the deals with the talent, but it's very clear that they're not being worked into any of the deals with the writers, and in fact, they're trying to bypass a lot of it by paying them up front and by... You know, basically lowballing them up front. And then these writers are in such a gig economy that they got no choice but to take the pittances that they're given. Look, we have seen changes made towards deal making by, you know, streamers and talent. Patty Jenkins and Gal Godot, at the onset of the day and date, got themselves a good deal for Wonder Woman 84. We have seen big money go to Affleck and Damon for something like Air by Amazon, a large upfront that's good for those people i doubt the writers are getting such favorable deals so yes i think it's going to be fascinating to watch if streamers are going to be pushed towards letting us know as a public or or letting them know as private contributors to the business what the results of their uh you know watch numbers are what's the data What's the data? And Adam Conover said it in 15 different ways. We don't know the data. How can we negotiate Mm -hmm. our deals? I also think there's an interesting I
1: mean, bringing back to social media, like we talked about in the first story, there's an interesting social media aspect to this this time around, too, because the last time the writer striked there. I mean, Twitter was in its infancy. Facebook was like the hot social media. I think MySpace was still around. Uh, It's not to say anything about Instagram's existence, certainly not TikTok's tiktok specifically has become such a tool for people to reach out and get noticed there's a guy i cited him on our twitter yesterday mm-hmm. michael jammin writer is the, the, his name m-i-c-h-a-e-l-j-a-m-i-n writer uh, w-r-i-t-e-r and he's got a substantial following i think it's the less than a million but it's a substantial following and he's done not only like writer's workshops and shown you the behind the scenes and the residuals and the financials of being in this quote unquote new gig economy which he hates the term of because he doesn't want the writing uh screenwriting to turn into a gig economy but he's shown you the behind the scenes of what it's like to be a writer and also he has obviously used his platform which he probably would never have otherwise to talk about You know, I'm just a regular writer. I don't like drive these fancy cars and stuff. I live day to day. Here's my paycheck. Here's literally what I get paid when one of my episodes hits a streamer. It's pennies compared to what it was back in the day when these went to cable anyway, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. And these are people who wouldn't have these platforms anyway, otherwise, or at least previously. So I'm curious as to see how that's going to win over public perception. Because the studios, I think, uh, uh, not I think, but obviously, want to paint the writers as, you know, they're just being greedy. Look at, I mean, every writer is a Damon or an Affleck. They're well-paid. They all live in mansions, et cetera, et cetera. And social media has revealed, I mean, clearly that's not the case.
0: It's definitely not the case. And the fact that they are taking a lot of the the smaller jobs away by reducing writers' rooms and mm-hmm. turning them into mini-rooms or bay. I mean, the fact that they offer day rates—Are you kidding me? Like, uh, capitalism's shit. awesome, isn't it? Oh God, it's scary. <laughs> well, it, that's it, what it is.
1: Like, it's it's the studio's maximizing profit. And how do they maximize profit by minimizing overhead and production costs? Right. And they find the easiest way to minimize production costs being to sh- exploit writers. They're gonna pay the writers, the lowest men on the on the rung, who are the most responsible for their product, by the way, arguably anyway, to, as much as they can. And that's the balance as of capitalism, as they can.
0: right? Yeah, as little as they can. As little, I'm sorry, as little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and look, the fact that AI is kind of on the fringe of this is not <laughs> to be understated because no. AI, I mean, the most obvious, uh, the most obvious pro for AI is that they can basically replace the whole the quote unquote brainstorm of a writers' room. Like, if you're looking for ideas for a new season, an AI can kind of handle that probably the quickest, in my opinion. I don't think... And it's been funny, like, all the tweets and the comedy... Skits of the AI generated stuff. What was the Cat Gatsby thing? Uh yeah. funny. Fine. That's not happening anytime soon necessarily where AI is gonna fully develop scripts, etc. But AI can certainly replace a writer's room and come up with a, a thousand different ideas for a particular whatever, or generate a hundred different ideas for a certain season of, of television, whatever. But that's coming sooner than later. And obviously yeah. if you're trying to reduce the number of people you're paying per a particular T V project you can replace those those big groups by replacing the brainstorm process. Mm-hmm. And if, AI if, can do that. If capitalism is the
1: game here, which it is the game we're all playing for better or for far, far infinitely worse, the the studio, I mean, AI coming along is music to the studio's ears because there is going to be a time where, you know, they're going to be able to just spit out fully formed scripts and it's not anytime soon probably in like the next you know week or so probably year but who knows but like at some point in the future we're going to have like a chat GPT which is going to be purely for the movie studio's benefits and turning out content or at least ideas like you said there and I think that is the single most important... Outside of residuals and being sure the little guy is provided for, the WGA cannot come back to work without having some kind of blueprint for how they're going to approach AI going forward and how the studios are allowed to approach AI going forward. And they address that smartly within uh, their demands. The WGA proposal, when it comes to AI, reads that they want to, WGA, quote, regulate the use of artificial intelligence on MBA cut minimum uh, business sense. Minimum... the The... Uh, Collectively bargained contract sense uh, is MBA, but regulate the use of artificial intelligence on the collectively bargained projects. AI can't write or rewrite literary material, can't be used as source material, and collectively bargained covered material can't be used to train AI. That's what the WGA's demands were. And hilariously, and maybe most forebodingly, the AMPTP's response to that was rejected the WGA proposal. And they countered by offering annual meetings to discuss advancements in technology. So the WGA is saying, look, we need to get a whole handle on this AI thing. It's clearly going to be something that we know is a danger to a threat to our jobs going forward. We don't want you to wield its power unnecessarily. We don't want you. You've already proven you're going to exploit us as much as you can. We don't want you to have this tool to further exploit and threaten our jobs with. Can we please have some sort of collectively bargained or a uh, path forward with using this tool that can be used for quite good in this industry that we both agree with? And the studio's response to that has been, no, but we will meet with you annually to discuss how we're going to
0: use it to threaten your jobs in the future. (laughs) God, that was uh, well said. You said it all, uh, as far as I know. So, yeah, this is a quagmire, to say the least. And uh, we're going to have to be paying attention to it. And I do think you know we projected some long term effects in terms of shaking down and and slowing down the the number of movies we're getting but th- we we're, we're looking down the road a, you know years at what this you know what this uh aftermath is going to be from the writers strike correct? the last
1: one 15 years ago lasted 100 days um i i have no idea how long this one will last i have no idea the impacts i don't know when we're going to start seeing the impacts of it on a uh streaming network or a TV show or a movie basis. I imagine it won't be for a little bit or quite some time, but I I hope the WGA gets the WGA certainly is entitled to everything they're asking for. It's just a matter of how long can they hold out.
0: Okay. We will uh, transition into uh, another story here an award story about the Tony nominations, Uh, a couple trailers, a couple reviews. We'll get you guys out of here, but I did want to mention some big name, Hollywood stars who have been nominated for Tonys. We have in the play categories lead actors Yaya Abdul-Mateen and Corey Hawkins in Top Dog slash Underdog. We have lead actress Jessica Chastain in A Doll's House and Jodie Comer in Prima Facci. Uh We have a featured actor in a play Samuel Jackson, this is important to note, in The Piano Lesson, That's which is cool. going to... Adapt on Netflix, and we have in the musical category uh, lead actor Ben Platt in Parade. So, Michael, we've talked about the Tonys being just, you know, uh, an influencer, another Mm -hmm. influencer in terms of Oscars. Obviously, if you're on the Tony's award circuit, it can't hurt you in terms of Oscars uh, eligibility and, uh, you know, people's awareness of your acting chops and something like Ben Platt, Dear Evan Hansen. He was kind of, you know, 70 years old. Well, he was it was not he didn't come off in the best light for his adaptation of in his that play. there shouldn't
1: have been light shown on him to show his age spots because he's
0: old. Yes. Here mm-hmm. he is the star <laughs> of parade and he's getting nominated for another Tony. It's very good for his career. He's overcoming the stigma of the dear Evan Hansen, you would think. He's Samuel gotten G- a lot
1: of he's gotten a lot of praise not to cut you off, but Ben yeah.
0: Platt I've seen with
1: a lot of praise i th- it might be prayer it might be a different play but there's some play where he just stays on stage his in character during the intermission and just kind of like lies around the setting and sits around and stuff
0: while everyone's but he's, he stays out there through the intermission it's kind of unique and then hawkins chastain comer and samuel jackson they're all going to have pro- projects come out that are going to be vying for oscars in the next two years that i know of i don't know of anything yaya abdul mateen's got but those other four so this is a good thing for them, I, I think. Samuel L. Jackson in the featured category, mm-hmm. not the lead,
1: right? So maybe that's a harbinger or a, yeah, a, something maybe. that can tell how he's, how he's going to be treated at the Oscars
0: level. Who knows? Clayton might be right on there. He might, he's yeah. probably familiar with the play. Maybe he knows Samuel doesn't have the largest or as large a part as John David Washington. I yeah. just like if you're going to a Broadway play and it says Samuel Jackson and John David Washington top billing. Don't you expect Samuel Jackson to be in it a large amount? <laughs> I expect to hear curse words. That's what I expect. <laughs> but w- would you expect to get fifteen minutes of Samuel Jackson? For no, a no, no three I, hour. I
1: mean, I, it's
0: it's. I, no, I would expect him to be the the lead. Absolutely.
1: Okay. But, I mean, maybe you know. Maybe he's at the point in his career where he wants to play the assist man to
0: uh, all the younger guys. Maybe. He needs an Oscar, though. That's all I know. Uh, Let's move on to some Oscar trailers. we got three of them. We're going to ignore The Flash, The Equalizer 3. We're going to kind of focus on the the films.
1: (laughs) We're going to ignore The Flash, period. (laughs) We're going to ignore The
0: Flash. I mean, the the trailers are fine, don't get me wrong. But The the Hunger Birds, Songbirds, and Snakes, I think that's going to be a new Oscar race checkpoint. I heard Jason
1: Schwartzman's in that. (laughs)
0: The new focus, though, Michael, like if we get like a non oscarie movie that we like, we'll review the trailer. But otherwise, let's review Oscar trailers. Yeah. All right. No, maybe uh, so. Maybe so. We're then going we're going forward
1: with Dune part two. Does that, is that, what that means? that's an Oscar trailer?
0: Come on. Well, <laughs> all right. Can I just do my job here as a Dune uh, I'm, reader? I'm being a naysayer. Go ahead. All right. Because there is a clear storyline here. And since I read the book. I need to smugly. I feel it's my duty to smugly mm-hmm. give our listeners a detailed start to the Dune two sub- synopsis. Like okay. I'm not gonna spoil anything, but uh, you know, <laughs> here goes. Okay, and and mm-hmm. it's shown in the trailer, but I, yeah. I'll just I'll give you some color. Mm-hmm. All right, Zendaya is dehydrated, <laughs> so Timmy and the Booger Eaters <laughs> learn to ride worms against the Egg People, yeah. and by Egg People I mean you have Egg Elvis, you have. Huh? Grandpa Egg Skarsgard, <laughs> you have Uncle Uncle Egg Batista. Yeah. Also, Florence Pugh wears unique tiaras. Okay. Rebecca Ferguson gets cool tattoos. I don't know if they're permanent. I don't think they're permanent. Mm-hmm. But Human Thanos also grew out his beard. Are there any questions? <laughs> and go. <laughs> uh, this was this was a trailer and a half. I give him credit.
1: I in in sense that this was cut. And sh- previews a theatrical offering. This certainly was a trailer. I agree.
0: <laughs> We're just not going to be huge fans of this this franchise. I, I am
1: going to be rooting so hard for Elvis. Everyone in black and white. I well, like. Mm-hmm. They're just they're they're my people. Austin Butler, Batista, and Stellan Skarsgård are all on the <laughs> same team
0: against Chalamet. <laughs> and Leia Sedu, by the way. Yeah, screw them. Go egg people. <laughs> Eggman, <laughs> what's that song? And the Eggman? Oh, it's the. I have no idea. The Beatles. The Beatles. Oh, oh! I am the Eggman. Yeah. I am the Eggman. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Yes, good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Does this trailer for Dune Part Two make our predictions? Because we have differing pr- predictions on Doom Part Two. I said a lot of Oscars. You said some Oscars, not a lot. Now tech categories. Yeah. Do you feel better or worse about your predictions after this trailer? It's clearly going to be a player in, in some tax. I mean, so, so is the other one.
1: So yeah. As yeah. far as I'm concerned. But you were the one who went with Villeneuve and a couple.
0: Did you? What else did you do above the line there? With I the, think screen screenplay director picture. Okay. I, and I would say that I think the composition of this trailer is pretty strong in terms of just like giving us, I, I know I, I took some the piss out of it there, but like, we understand that this is going to be Harkonnens versus Fremen. You know, I mean, we understand that those Timothy are the characters Chalamet. names, the people's names, Harkonnens versus Fremen's Harkonnens versus Fremen's with the, uh, I forget Timothy Chalamet's uh, house name, house of I, I am.
1: The more you speak, the more out I get on this
0: movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said I put it the booger eaters versus the egg people. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that I'm because they like have it. literally up their nose <laughs> into their mouths. Yeah. The what are the, those things? the wiring?
1: They're eating their own boogers. I know I should know what they are because I watched the first movie, but I did not like my
0: experience with the first movie. I don't know. They're the suits where they just recycle all the body mm. muck yummy (laughs) (laughs) and it goes back through the i don't know it's disgusting in the books it's even more disgusting (laughs) it's an
1: epic right i mean it certainly gives you that feel it's going to be on the big screen it'll look beautiful there i i mean has there been a blockbuster i've been less
0: excited about yeah here's the thing i have rewatched the first hour and a half of the first dune movie which i have done now twice since seeing it twice in theaters. I saw it once at the film festival. It It's not a bad rewatch thus far. However, the back half is where I have my problems with the film. So Okay. And you haven't
1: ventured into that half? <laughs> I haven't ventured there yet. I will try. Um, this is in, like, some post-apocalyptic future, and Florence Pugh is still speaking into a tape recorder?
0: She's a unique character, though, because her father is this political... Um, and, and, God, if her father is the guy, or Buster Scruggs, I'm going to shit. <laughs> That's who I'm guessing her father is. Tim Blake Nelson. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, the fact that she has, you know, this old cowboy tape recorder might make sense, maybe. But, it, like, she is going to be, like, the never-ending story princess, and then, uh, therefore, is going to have to do the real deal-making at the end of the movie? I don't know. I, okay, I don't remember I can... <laughs> the story. <laughs> Which is the, the the future of the power behind the Civil War that we're doing. De- like, this is going to be a rebellion story, so it's kind of cool if they pull it off. Just, I just make think- Star Wars. If that's what you want to do. Just make Star Wars. Or Star's War. Yeah, Exactly all right let's move on next goal wins this is from writer director taika watiti starring michael fassbender uh, oscar knightley elizabeth moss rachel house of hunt for the wilder people kamana will arnett and taika himself you got abba's take a chance on me you have funny title cards uh, quote from the loser of the best picture from the loser of the people's choice <laughs>
1: Yeah, He won an Oscar, by the way, for Jojo Rabbit,
0: (laughs) taking a shot at himself as an Oscars loser is kind of cheeky. All right. Uh, Very cheeky. Look it. I have reasons to worry slash hopeful mitigations to say worry. Reason for worry. This is a white savior narrative. Uh, You might get a mitigation in the sense that a lot of the Samoan characters are kind of making fun of the white coach and and he's quote like a helpless little boy you find at the mall and send to the authorities to help find his parents <laughs> but fun. what if what if the real saving is the
1: the Samoan team saving him from his alcoholism
0: yeah like every single <laughs> sports movie ever you have a coach a wayward coach who needs to be taught by his new players and and he will you teach see them Tom the Hanks is
1: crotchety and doesn't want to coach women Do you understand that? Do you get that? And they win him over.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Keanu Reeves in hardball. We just saw that the most obvious version of it with Woody Harrelson and champions. Uh, It's, it's clear that this is going to happen. Now you have name white actors and you have new to Hollywood Simone cast members, like with champions. I think there was some legitimate criticism that the kids weren't as, weren't featured as much in the storyline as, as, uh, the the adult characters, fine, and I agree with that. Are you going to feature the Samoan cast members as much? That's important, sure. Because if you're just around, uh, you're you're centering the story around the forty year old white guy, you know that, that that's a bigger problem. Of course, it is. Now, this is about a soccer team that lost hilariously thirty one nothing. However, I laughed that loud at how hilarious <laughs> some of these. Bad soccer moments are like there's a one shot where the guy's got like a almost a breakaway close shot on goal, it ricochets off the goaltender yes. into the defender, into the the shooter, and then out of bounds. It was very funny. It was very funny. That's I'm dying when that happens. Uh, the goalkeeper trying to you know throw the ball out, it throws it into his own goal <laughs> by accident <laughs> in practice, just hilarious. So now they also had. Army Hammer in the film and they did a lot of reshoots yeah. to get him the hell out of it. They replaced so, him with Will Arnett. This is a good thing, no? Ah. Uh,
1: I when you hear that, it it shook me, but when you see the trailer and see the type of role Arnett is playing, I wonder if that had to be completely rewritten cuz that seems like an Arnett character. Like, oh, nobody told you you're you're here to be fired. Like that type of role <laughs> is a comedic role. I can't even
0: envision Army Hammer having that type of role. So I wonder if this was more dramatic originally. Final reason to worry or not, is alcohol alcoholism tragic or hilarious? <laughs> we will find out. Sometimes it's weeks.
1: both in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sick. have a lot I, I feel a lot better about this and it's now new November release date than I did when we were talking about it as like one of the top ten films when it was supposed to be a September release. But like watching <laughs> this, this struck a tone of you know if I were to describe Jojo Rabbit to you, mm-hmm. you would say, and we had concerns oh, yeah. like, oh, Jesus Christ, it's going to be a Hitler is your best friend movie. But then you see Terrifying. it and it's like, oh, God, of course, it's beautiful. He threaded the needle. Yeah. Right. And it seems I got that kind of tone from this, too. I don't I know. I hope so.
0: I really hope so. And I and I do hope. You, I mean, they're bringing a, a, a new group of actors who have been very popular uh, in New Zealand and they get the chance to shine. I hope. Mm hmm on the big Hollywood stage. So that, that could be a very good thing. We'll move on from next goal wins to wish. This is from Walt Disney studios directed by Chris Buck of the frozen films and fawn Vera Vera sunthorne, excuse me, uh, who worked on Zootopia voices of Ariana DeBose, Chris, Pine and Alan Tudyk wish will follow a young girl named Asha who wishes on a star and gets a more direct answer than she bargained for when a troublemaking star comes down from the sky to join her. Michael, the animation. Yep. Ariana DeBose's voice. Yep. I am getting shudders and goosebumps at how gorgeous both of these are. And the laughs
1: and the cuteness of the characters, the Alan Tudyk playing the uh, the talking. What is that animal there?
0: The the goat, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's adorable and it's hilarious. Yeah, it's uh, this the, this looks very very good. The matted backgrounds look like you're flipping a very expensive storybook. The just like the cityscapes mm-hmm. in the background of these characters, and they're so still, which is so unique for an animated film of this stature. I, I was blown away by that for in the first thirty seconds of the trailer for Wish. This is this is such a good trailer. I mean, look, I, I mean, it's fine. Like the the actual content of the trailer, like maybe like the song doesn't blow me away. Sorry, and I still, I mean, I guess this is a mark of a good trailer, but
1: I have no idea what the what the story is about.
0: I know right. Chris Pine's the bad guy, and he wants your wishes. The star dusting the goat, silly, fine. Alan Tudyk's low voice voicing the goat, corny, funny, whatever. Like we'll, we'll we'll have to see. Maybe this movie, maybe the story doesn't have the goods. But I really want to change my animated feature pick right now. Yeah, uh, Disney Animation
1: has gotten, I think, leaps and bounds better in the last like five years, even. Wow, it, the Wish trailer very impressive. Just in terms of the look, I mean, ever since like Wreck It Ralph came out, I feel like they've been crushing it. Uh, yeah. As far as being more like, I mean, more like Pixar, but also different and distinct from Pixar in a way, if I could say that and get away with it. Um, yeah, I'm excited for that. Me too. All right.
0: We'll finish with a make the case segment. I am going to review Bo is Afraid. I are there you there, God? took the plunge. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, and Polite Society. Those are my 3 A. I think it's just going to become like a weekly thing where I, I review, my three, review. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my three A-list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My three A-list movies. Uh, Bo is Afraid. Look it. I wrote a lot on this, and I'm surprised at myself. It is funny after seeing the film and fitting that Eric Weber called this perhaps the worst movie ever made because I could certainly see how he and others would openly despise Bo's afraid because yeah. Ari Aster and Holly uh, and Walking Phoenix, they're, They're breaking, just breaking some big Hollywood storytelling rules here. Like you have a protagonist who's a whimpering, shivering deer in (laughs) headlights for three hours of screen time. And every screenwriting instructor Hollywood has ever given us, every screenwriting book, every screenwriting class has told you to make the protagonist willful. And instead we have Joaquin Phoenix as a scurrying mouse running from (laughs) one terror to the next. You're doing a good the, job of selling it for the whole runtime, so it's unique in that sense. Does it work for a feature film? I don't think so. Okay, Bo's Afraid is double the length it should have been. Oh, no, that is what is so punishing about these two hours and 47 minutes. And there are lulls that just I racked me. I was really upset. Long and terrifying sequences, yes, and as like innovations in terms of how you make a horror movie and this is a horror movie okay huh i give this movie a lot of credit like the the problem is the composition like the setting of the film is not real enough to be super scary nor is it nightmarish enough to be that funny like it's it's in this weird like they didn't get it right the tone is off Okay. And the problem with the movie is it's not funny enough. I think he wanted to make a horror comedy here. He really tried desperately to make a horror comedy, and it's just not funny enough. He's not a comedian. And I have a few faint chuckles, and I'm the only one in my theater. And I texted you. like There's 20 people yeah. in my theater. I couldn't believe it. But I'm the only one laughing, and it, I'm embarrassed for doing so almost immediately afterwards. <laughs> the other big problem just in general, is like this is an audio pain in my ear holes. Every You're very scene, sensitive to those. Every single scene is soundtracked by a cacophony of screams <laughs> and yells and oh, yelps. Oh no, that's not you though. Various characters and extras and whatever the setting is, it's like Dante's Inferno. It is awful. I just, I'm so mad at it. So this is like this strange I'm surprised nightmare. you made it through. Nights Nightmare Escape and yeah, I'm every scene. And I'm I almost got to the point where I'm kind of laughing at it, but it's just dear God. Um however, this is what I loved about the movie the Nathan Lane Amy Ryan centerpiece sequence, the transitions in and out of there, the sequence itself, their daughter character, horrifying Michael. <laughs> Great, loved it. Then you get like this batshit hilarious action going in and out of that sequence that I loved. So really, really great sequence. I I don't want to, it's not like Babylon, Matt Babylon had more goods than Bo's afraid, Mm -hmm. but they're like, I'm going to like, I'm going to put Bo's afraid up for multiple scaries just based on that. So the movie's worth seeing for that reason. Joaquin Phoenix singing all the high notes with his performance. And he's as believable as can be in this reality. I give him a ton of credit. Uh, this movie would have been so much worse a disaster if not for the performances in it. And it goes for Phoenix, Lane, Ryan, like I said, all the characters are committed and I love them for it. So the, the actors are are terrific. Unfortunately, like this Bo is Afraid just does not give you enough payoff to justify the prolonged, aggravating build. I just cannot I cannot say the output equals the input. That's uh, that's what's unfortunate. Like there's too many lows. There's too much boredom. And for the highs being high, I just, I, I come, come away from it more aggravated than not. And then the ending sucks. So that's the biggest problem. Mm. Like the ending is so stupid. Uh, I guess where I land is that I never want to meet Ari Aster's family. (laughs) Uh, And like my father says, never is a long time. (laughs) Because, like, all all the publicity has been, like, he gets along with his family so well. How could he write his mother this way? And it's like, he's got this beautiful relationship with his family. And yet, he writes movies like this. Jesus. i tell you what you've done, is you've perfected a way to talk, like,
1: to make you think you're speaking glowingly about a film that you really disliked. I liked a lot about it and I hated a it a lot. But the grade is I mean you have a C minus. That's, that's C-. I mean I would listen, I give a C minus. <laughs> I'm not getting off the toilet. I'm just
0: pooping the whole time. <laughs> I it was one of those films, Michael. The that's highs good. were high, but the lows were so low that I'm like I walked the ending sucked so much that I walked out of the movie. I was like god damn like what are you doing Uh, i wonder the, the pressure too from like
1: by the time you hit your third feature film you've obsessed your entire life about your first one and the meticulousness of it and it's a hit and so the studio wants you immediately to make a second one and it's another hit by the time you've hit your third one if you're ari aster you have to be dying
0: to do something different anyway there might be something ingenious here too like what he's really talking about in this story might be ingenious. The problem is the movie isn't good enough to wanna really know. Like this is not about the financial crisis. So if he <laughs> is truly, know. if he is truly departing from what he's done, like you're saying, Midsummer and our, and, and 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 he is in terms right. of tone. He's trying for something new and he's kind of failing to bring enough people in to care enough. Now. Will this be a movie that we look back at in twenty years and say, "Hey, he innovated here. At, this is really cool, and it's worth kind of studying." Maybe, like maybe on second watch, I'm into it more. I don't know if there's gonna be a second watch for me, though, Because right. the first one was kind of aggravating. <laughs> well, you
1: you sold it to me more than I've been sold on it, and then at the end, you
0: you, you know, like, I can't three hours to see a C minus. I don't know that I can do it. Three hours, man. But the problem is, there's some A plus scenes in there. That's right. the thing. And there's great performances. And maybe I'll have to wait for Man of Recaps to get to it first so I can watch oh, it in three minutes. Oh <laughs> god damn the internet. Michael, Speaking let me God, Yeah, let me review Are You There God. It's me, Margaret. And and thank you for letting me drone on here. I just gotta finish up. But opposite of Bo, Margaret is just a smooth, calming, therapeutic composition in terms of a movie, especially for a story about anxiety, which they both are. Uh, I counted in my audience. I literally counted my audience when I was there. My audience was five grandmothers mm-hmm. accompanying their granddaughters, different Aww. sets around the theater, which was adorable. That's cute, and me. Nice, that's great. So, little girls, <laughs> elderly women, and me. Yeah,
1: I think only has a
0: song written about that. <laughs> Here's what I can confidently say about "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret." Every single person in that theater loved the movie Good. out loud. Including myself. Good. So, high praise for this film. It's probably an 89B+, 90A-, somewhere in there. Really well made. High praise for the cast. Like, Rachel McAdams is as good as she's been in a long time. Kathy Bates is very charming. They're the mother and grandmother characters. Rachel McAdams has some big emotional scenes, especially at the end. Give her a ton of credit. Benny Safdie plays the perfect doofy dad. Loved him. But the best performances are the kids. Abby Ryder Fortson, Ellie Graham, their friend and best friend, they lead this terrific ensemble of young people who, all if any of them are terrible, it totally takes me, in particular, sure. out of the movie. And they're all excellent. So right. that is a feat unto itself. Whoever this casting director should be hired to do every single children's based film in terms of ensembles f- here to forthwith. So are you there? God, it's me, Margaret go see it, support it because it's not doing as well at the box office as it should be. Can it still become profitable? I hope it can 7 million in three days. And Judy Bloom to her budget. credit has
1: been, has been doing her best to market it too. I th- I've seen her on a couple talk shows. I know she stopped by the, I think it was uh, the view recently as well, Like mm-hmm. she's been, you know, for, for, Putting her name out there. It's such a whole Amazon documentary.
0: Yeah, it's such a wholesome coming of age story that, that that doesn't get told a lot from the female perspective. And it's not like it could have been so awkward and quote unquote cringy. It's not. It's it's it, like I said, it's a smooth composition. Some of it's a little awkward, but it, it of course it is. But in terms of offending people, I don't see how that is possible and in terms of oh
1: you poor innocent soul
0: (laughs) well but it's not like big mouth it's not about sex education it's just about it's just about puberty i mean it's Mm -hmm. that simple it's it's not and then in terms of the religious criticism it's very tame like this this girl is just reaching out in prayer she's she's seeking out and she finishes the movie seeking out i mean i don't think i'm spoiling it there like it's she yeah. She has a crisis of faith at the three quarter point, but every religious movie has that, whether it's pro religion or anti religion. Right. And this movie is just very neutral on that. So I don't understand how this could offend like even staunch Christians. Like, and I come from that community, so I don't like th- this is very tame. So the witch hunt. There's been a witch hunt against Judy Bloom for her whole career, yep. as we've seen. Uh, in the documentary, etc., and this, I, like this movie and this story, would inspire that. It makes no sense. No, I'm pretty sure. Overblown. The book is, the,
1: I'm pretty sure the book is banned in uh, in Florida right now. Yeah. Well,
0: they're they're they didn't read the story because this is a, a healthy story Are for. You're going to tell me girls. that Florida
1: government <laughs> may not be rational. It's completely irrational. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I do have some sad news report for this final review. Okay. I'm genuinely sad to report that polite society was not good, and I I am baffled by some of the positive reviews out there. This is the movie about uh, the the girls in London, uh, sisters, Pakistani sisters, who one wants to be a stunt uh, stunt woman, and the other wants to be an artist, and the older sister gets caught in like this marriage trap. That takes this very hokey sci-fi premise or sci-fi twist that really doesn't work. Now I knew f- going into this movie, *Polite Society*, that everybody was going to be a kung fu master. I mm-hmm. I knew that. Now I was totally in on that. So everybody in the movie is going to fight. Great, cool. The problem is every fight scene is a is an over edited, slow motion reliant disaster michael and every time Uh that they actually pull back for a wide shot for 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 a master shot it's a in slow motion and b contingent on this goofy wire work like Mm -hmm. that is just the absolute opposite of what every good action director has done from the beginning of time so to watch something like john wick chapter four and then Polite Society as my next action movie. Maybe I should have saw Sisu before this. But I was excited about Polite Society. To watch those two back-to-back is just stark. It's it's rough. Now, cinematography, very good. They made the best of it. Mm-hmm. Costumes are great. Several of the performances, terrific. I love the older sister. And I love the the mama's boy uh, fiancé. I love the mom. She was in uh, the Miss Mar- uh, Marvel love those characters good performances in polite society problem is there's some terrible performances as well including the protagonist she's just screaming every line mm. i can't i can't i can't give this movie a good review unfortunately and i'm bummed out nah, that's no good nah, they're not all going to be aces that's all right all right, before I give us a, a good TV review, do you want to review anything yourself? You've, been, you've let me drone on here, and I appreciate uh, you. I don't think I've talked about Missing on here. I, I, I don't have anything that positive
1: to review, which is why I'm okay not reviewing, but uh, Missing okay. Missing kind of missed miss the mark for me, no pun intended. I mean, we've seen the Screen Life stuff done very well, and mm. it can be done well. I, this story kind of felt forced. I was in for the performance of the lead there. I, I thought she did a good job. Uh, the story fell so flat for me, especially the reveal. It's like, oh, okay,
0: so we're going this direction, cool. I, I remember I, getting an engaging time at the movies at the very least. The so first half like, hours, I mean, absolutely. Uh, like When you see the the big, the big first big beat and switch, it's like, oh, what are we in for here? And then it just kind of all unravels for me. And I, I don't know if I reviewed this on the show or not, but I remember watching her protagonist character, like the young kid, and be like, okay, this is a really great way to show – a thorough, you know, a thoroughly capable young person right. who just dunks on well, everybody in her that's, life. On that's the, internet. the one
1: positive I did take away from this is that if I ever do have children, I mean, you're not, you can't hide shit from this generation of kids. You can't kidnap me and then my kid's not going to save me. <laughs> like, like, right? like, you can't, you can't do shit, Mike. <laughs> the stuff that the the resources that are available out there that every common <laughs> teenager knows how to use and access right now. I mean, we're, I mean. Never mind fearing a big brother state. We're in a big brother state and it's run by teens. Wow. Good. (laughs) So, or not. I don't know. I don't know. We're in trouble, but (laughs) the the kids, the, the kids that vote, the people that vote on the teen choice awards run the world currently is what I'm trying to say. Um, wow. that's one. Two. I, I watched Leaving Las Vegas which, I, which I've never watched before. Oh um, yeah.
0: Good. You could text me about that. Really really good. I mean obviously it's good it's an Oscar winning movie it's but like soul crushing and you're like chipper about this movie. That that, that is the saddest <laughs> movie ever made and you're like ooh I'm delighted. I'm Let me th- tell you. This is where your mental state is? I would hang out with anyone from that movie. <laughs> I also like the movie don't get me wrong but that Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah it was fun. <laughs>
1: This is a good time. <laughs> Nick you're doesn't do sick. so well there, but you you're know, a sick man. It's Just a look. shame
0: what happened to our buddy Nick, but otherwise, oh my god, nothing Nicolas but high Cage, marks. Elizabeth Shue, Nicholas Cage won the Oscar for it, I believe. Yes, right. Yes, yes, he did. Uh, uh, I have,
1: I don't have a lot of exposure with Elizabeth Shue. She was great she is great yeah. she's great in everything yeah.
0: how so, dare you say anything otherwise, otherwise I, I just don't know otherwise. I don't know her work that much that's all I was I'm sorry <laughs> back to the futures uh I mean the uh, I mean she is still great in the, the boys she's in and the boys yeah who is awesome. she she's my favorite she she's a childhood crush back from uh, back from the babysitter movie when I was a kid but she's uh, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. yeah i don't know which one of those she's in babysitters club or something one of those i forget anyway
1: she's madeline stillwell she's great wow great in everything wow okay i I am familiar with her work. i just didn't know who elizabeth shoe was i guess yeah she's
0: awesome in the boys i did not know that was her Mm. so elizabeth shoe fist bump Uh, anything else before i review the diplomat uh
1: other than my impromptu foot surgery i went through yesterday no
0: (laughs) do you want to review your impromptu foot surgery (laughs) i really don't it was horrible (laughs) i'm glad you're able to record despite it though this was big (laughs) this has helped us out Uh, the diplomat starring carrie russell of the americans on netflix from creator deborah Kahn of the west wing gray's anatomy and fossey burden like if that's not enough reason to watch it just listen to me i mean tweet i read my tweets about i mowed this down on netflix (laughs) i want more of it like now this is eight episodes they fly by i think i watched three in one night three the next night and then two the last day and i'm desperate for more and i'm very upset that they've only just greenlit season two because that means i will have to wait for the diplomat and they leave you on Oh my god, they leave you in suspense. And I need to see what happens next. Carrie Russell, uh Rufus Sewell, so many, you know, new faces that just have great performances throughout the series. I, I'm so into the diplomat. I'm gonna I I hope they don't jump the shark because they could very easily jump the shark because it's about like diplomacy on a global scale. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can easily just, oh, my God, ludicrous! and he's in space now. And he's in a spaceship car in it. Yeah, that can happen. The, that I, can happen I, I'm easily. disheartened to hear you speak
1: so highly of it because I know like you know me. With, I'm, I'm dying for succession to end so I can just finally start watching it again. <laughs> it's ending. You could watch it again. No, But I can't. I, I'm not waiting a week for a show. I'm not. I'll be know. honest with you.
0: I have not started season. Was this three or four yet? That's I haven't four, started yeah. it either. I have
1: yeah. to. I'm, I'm waiting for it to end, so I can. I, I haven't watched three yet. It was hard enough getting through two, knowing that it wasn't over.
0: I think uh, I think you have bigger issues than just. Well, that's. I mean, <laughs> it's like you have this uh, commitment problem with TV shows. Mm-hmm. You, you have. It's not just the typical male problems of commitment <laughs> You can't commit. It's like your Hallmark movie, but you with TV shows. Right a terrible hallmark movie (laughs) (laughs) the worst the worst
1: (laughs) as always what matters most to us are your thoughts Uh, We want to hear you out did you see any of the movies that mike or i just reviewed as well obviously want to know what do you think about the new academy rules and regulations in response to the andrea riesbo nomination what do you think about the writer's strike how do you see it playing out uh you could talk talk, talk, i can't speak you could talk to us about anything uh like that or any other thoughts comments questions or concerns you have about anything we do here in the mmo empire on our social media, as we are Mike, Mike and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike and Oscar at Gmail dot com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. you are been listening to us on either the Apple podcast or Spotify app. If you appreciate what we do, uh, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five star review on one of those apps, those help us out immensely. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Michael, uh, we got to run kind of abruptly. Let's have some quick words of wisdom and what's
0: coming next from us support the wga and go. uh, we're gonna have oscar race checkpoint ep- episodes and oscar profile episodes hereto forthwith through the can film festival and i think some pretty pretty cool summer you know late spring early summer projects that we're gonna figure out what we want to do the film studies on but yeah we got we got the goods this spring like past lives is coming out and i can't wait for that and and i got, seriously can't you know, Guardians 3 this weekend, so we'll see that. I don't know if we'll do a whole episode on it or if it'll be in an Oscar race checkpoint, but obviously we got big industry movements right now that we're going to keep following. I think we were overdue for a box office update. We're going to get all of the trailers from CinemaCon. We only got a couple for this episode, but all of those are going to drop for Napoleon, for uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, for Wonka. Why not color, just put color color those purple. on
1: YouTube right away, by the way?
0: Yeah. What, Why, what do you They're hold them of, off for? I mean, WB is, like, stretching them out. They're doing Dune today. Maybe they do the Color Purple next week. Maybe they do... You know, I get, I get that. But uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I think they're eventually, when they cut these trailers and they show them at a CinemaCon or whatever event, those typically come out to the public a week or two later. Yeah. It's
1: not like anyone's like, oh, that trailer was terrible. Do we, they should recut it. And that's why there's a delay. I don't get it.
0: Right. No, typically when these things are cut and, and shown at a premiere eventually they they go wide fairly quickly rapid succession so that's going to happen so we'll probably have more trailers to review throughout there you go
1: that's what's on the horizon for us guys as always when reality sucks you can come cut your own trailers with us we are mike mike and oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness we will see you all very soon
0: see you